thank you because I messed that up last night. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, this four-step process to me was such the boogeyman for many years in a way. I would avoid it at all costs. I have spent years writing my autobiography and trying to figure out my childhood and which was really, you know, how, come, how much can I blame this on my mother was basically my, my plan. And the simplicity of the big book approach to me is just beautiful. So as I'm listening to Maria, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what my experience was, was I look at the resentments first, which you guys looked at last week, right? And what I find is my resentments are covering my anger. And then in that sick man's prayer, I have the prayer, God save me from being angry. And as I'm addressing my anger, I realize what's covering up my anger? My fear. My anger is covering up my fear. And then I have this beautiful fear prayer that Maria just said. And then where we go next? Well, how does, how does this all manifest, these resentments, this anger, and this fear? In my freaking relationships. So now we're going to go to the last inventory, which is a sex conduct inventory. It's not a sex inventory. It's sex conduct. Um, this is not a list of everyone you've slept with. This is how do we interact in relationships with attraction. So it starts on, um, it's all on page 69. It's really easy to remember where to find it. Um, so it says on the bottom of 68, actually, now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get off track. Here we find human opinions running to the extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is the lust of the lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. And then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institutions of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow no man no flavor for his fare, and another would have us all on a straight pepper diet. Um, we want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? I mean, you could have written this in 2017. I mean, this is written back in 1939. So what I'm asking is, when I get into these situations of relationships, I mean, of, of uh, attraction, situations of attraction, how do I handle it? How do I handle that interact interactions? And, and for me, this was hard in the beginning because, honestly, my, my history is, is, is of obesity. So I honestly didn't even go on a date until I was 26. So it was hard for me to even do that. So I think a lot of us as, as compulsive overeaters, because it manifests on our body, we have to ask who we are as sexual beings even, because we've, we've spent a lot of times trying to avoid that part of our, ourselves. But I want to approach this more as any kind of relationship. So we're going to go over the directions. Now, we, like I said, in the resentments, we had a sick man prayer, right? Fear, we had a fear prayer. In this sex conduct or relationships, we have three prayers, which just shows you relationships are complicated. We need, we need a lot more prayers than just one for that. Um, so the actual inventory is that next, the first full paragraph on page 69. So the first question is, whom did I hurt? The second question is where I had been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate. So inconsiderate is a new word that we, we, had, we didn't use in the resentments. And I'm not there to write a story about it. It's all bullet points, you know, just, just basic ideas. So like the same way the resentments is kind of like 20 words or less, we're going to kind of do the same thing. The next question is, did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? So the way that I do that, too, is I just say yes or no. I'm not going to explain, justify, figure out how I did it. It's just, did I do that? And where, could, where was I at fault, and what should I have done instead? Well, in order for me to do that, I need these prayers first. So 
I just want to say, too, that um, when I said whom did I hurt, once again, this is not about just a list of who we've had sex with. And one of the ones I had to look at was some of my girlfriends. Because, see, I, I didn't, you know, like I said, I never even went on a date till I was 26. When I lost the weight, I was terrified of men. I, didn't, I never had male attention in my entire life, and it scared the crap out of me. So what I did is I actually flirted with my friends' boyfriends and their husbands. Not because I was anything was going to happen, but it was the only safe place I felt that I could practice this flirting thing. So I had to say how I hurt them because I was really disrespectful. So don't think of it, like I said, you know, if, if, you know, are you someone that maybe in a job you know someone has a crush on you, so you kind of get them to do what you want? You know, I, mean, I know after I lost the weight, I don't think I bought a, a drink for like three years in a bar because I would just flirt till, till guys bought me, bought me a drink. You know, if you're in a relationship, are you using sex as a reward or as a punishment? Are we using it as a power play? You know, so we want to look at it much more in a much more broader way. So what I want to do is look at these, um, these prayers. So there's three different prayers. That second full paragraph, it says, In this way we try to, to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. So when I first read that, that was pretty darn easy because my ideal is really simple. You've got to be over six feet, you've got to have blonde hair, you've got to have blue eyes, and you've got to kind of have that surfer boy look. That is not what it's asking. It's not asking what type of boyfriend do I want, it's asking what type of girlfriend do I want to be, regardless of the, of the person I'm involved with. Who do I want to be in a relationship? And I'm just going to skip ahead for a minute because I, the way that I approach this is I do the sex conduct survey when I'm going through the steps. But when I get into my 10th step, this is now a relationship inventory. So I create ideals in all parts of my life. So I look at, you know, not what kind of mother I want my mom to be, but what kind of daughter do I want to be? Not what kind of, you know, brother who I want my brothers to be, what kind of sister do I want to be? What kind of employee do I want to be? You know, what kind of um, member of Overeaters Anonymous do I want to be? What kind of, uh, I'm someone who's very into politics. How do I want to, what kind of political activist do I want to be? And that gives me a, a, an ideal to work towards. So when I'm doing my 10 and 11, which we're going to go over next week, but when I, in step 11, when it says, what could I have done better? Or what corrective measures should be taken? I now have this North Star in all parts of my life that I can say, okay, I, I did not live up to my deal as a daughter today. What do I need to change to be a better daughter tomorrow? I did not live up to my ideal as an employee today. What do I have to do? And these ideals are, are changed. So if we look down at the, the next paragraph, it says, whatever our ideals turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. Okay? We must be willing to make amends when we have done harm, provided we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. Here's the second prayer. In meditation... We ask God what we should do about each specific matter. So, for example, I was, I was talking to Janet before the meeting, and I was away with my, with my family, and my parents are aging rapidly right now, and I've, I'm having to change my ideal. And I'm, the way I am when I live in Mount Holly and they live in Mount Laurel is very different than the relationship when we're sharing a plane and a car ride to spend a weekend together in Georgia. You know, I have to, each specific situation, I have to ask myself, how can I be a better daughter today? How's that ring up, you know, um, living up to my ideal? So this, these, that's why I said these, these ideals are going to be um, transitory and they're going to be massaged as we go forward. Um, just to give you another example, this is not, once again, more 10 and 11, but 
my youngest brother um, is, is, is learning disabled, and, and I have an idea about how I can support him and, you know, what our relationship was like. But last, just almost a year ago now, last year he got a job as a custodian in my, in my job. I had to create a totally new ideal as a, as a um, co-worker with him, not just as a sister. And I have to tell you, it was hard because, you know, anyone says anything to my brother, I just want to beat them up. And, and there was an incident where someone teased him, and I really did want to beat somebody up. Um, but when I started to do the ideal, I, when I was doing that in Meditation 11, what I heard from my higher power was, Kim, maybe you should involve him in this ideal. <laughs> like, I'm making all these decisions about what our relationship should be at work instead of involving him. So I took him out to lunch. And I told him the, you know, the concerns I had with my behavior, that I was having a hard time not being his big sister. And... How does he want me to behave? How does he want me to, to act in that work environment? And it was so sweet because at the end of it, he said, you know, Kim, I still need my big sister. Mm-hmm. But this, these are the type of things that we're doing with these relationships. I, I, I am, I've never been married, but, I, you know, a lot of you obviously, a lot of you obviously, but most of you probably are. So if you had, um, you know, gone to the, the altar and said, I do, and never changed your ideal, would you even have a relationship now? I mean, the, the ideal you have as a newlywed is different than the ideal you have years later and then when you become parents and then when your kids leave the house and you have to rediscover who you are as a husband and wife because you're not a mom and dad and, you know, as much anymore. So this, this is, these are lifelong prayers that we use. This, this was a mistake that I personally made is I learned these four-step prayers and I left them in step four. <laughs> these are prayers that we learn in step four and we utilize the rest of our life. So let's look at that, that third prayer that we're going to look at on page 70. It's the second paragraph. It says, to sum it up about sex, we earnestly pray. So first we asked for the right ideal, then we took meditation, and now we're going to earnestly pray. So it's just telling you relationships are complicated. We pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. So once I'm just going to use an example from this weekend too. Again, my my father, my father's a marine, big guy, and he's having he's 80 years old and his arthritis is really bad. And and he his he was actually a nationally um, ranked table tennis player. So his physical ability is a big part of who you know his identity. And he's having a hard time with this. And I I had seen him um, cry twice in my lifetime. Well, he goes out on the deck for a while and comes back in and he's crying. And I'm like, Dad, what's going on? Is I'm just reflecting on how lucky I've been in my life, and I've had good parents and good siblings, and my kids are doing well. And I'm like, well, I'm, everything in me wants to make some crack because I, when I get on, when I get nervous, I get snarky and I start to make fun. And to sit there and to use these prayers, you know, how do I want to be as a daughter? How can I support him instead of mean my nervousness starting to like joke about things? And I said, you know, and I, I said, Dad, I said, can you tell, talk a little bit more about this? Is there anything you talk about? That's, that's how this is. And I had no idea my dad was feeling this way because I still, in my mind, I'm 13 and my big daddy is going to take care of everything. You know, but to hear him talk about that, it, it, it scared me. And then I'm like, okay, let's get my fear out of the way and let me see how I can be helpful to this incredible man that, was, that is my father. Okay, so that's why in each questionable situation, I didn't know what to do. My dad's crying, you know. Um, so I'm asking for strength to do the right thing. Now, if, if relationships are more troublesome, we throw ourselves harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. It takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. So the big book is really consistent 
that when we are having trouble, when we're selfed up, what do we do? We go out and help another alcoholic. Because if my problem is I always think about me, the best thing I can do is to think about you. Because that's the only time I am free of thinking about me. So we're going to utilize these prayers to start to change that shift from being self-centered to being other-centered. So now I want to kind of, so, so after these prayers, that's when I say, what should I have done instead? Now for me personally, once again, when I looked at, it was funny, my first step group, which wasn't through the big book, um, was I had dated five Kevins in a row. So we had Kevin number one, Kevin number two, Kevin number three. There was a Kelvin in between. But, and I had to laugh because not only did they all have the same name, they were the same guy. Because they were all from the Navy, which meant their families were away, and I could be the center of their universes, and then I would get mad because they were possessive. You know, um, so I really saw how I was, um, I can't remember the line now, but I was putting myself in a position to be hurt by my decisions. And I remember a friend of mine saying, because all these losers were asking me out, and she said, Kim, the problem isn't that the losers are asking you out. The problem is you're saying yes when they do. And I'm like, oh. So this inventory helps me, once again, if I become the person, the, the person I want to be in a relationship, I'm going to start to attract those people that like that kind of person as opposed to that needy person that has to be the center of attention for a guy in order for me to feel like they might even like me. And I also started to see patterns of if I really liked them, I ran away because it scared the hell out of me. And if I didn't like them, I was afraid to be alone, so I would hang out in the relationship way too long. So that's what this, this four-step is doing. It's helping me see those patterns so I don't have to continue to do them because it wasn't about the guys. It was about my insecurities with these guys. Same thing with friendships. You know, I really saw that I was picking friends that I could, <laughs> I could be the center of their attention to because I was so afraid of being alone. So I had to look at those relationships as well. So I want to go over a warning now. I love the warnings. So if we go to the, the first paragraph on page 70, and I, once again, I want to look at this more globally, not just as a relationship thing, but it says, suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so. But this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and continue our conduct, and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to get drunk. There's the warning. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our own experience. So once again, when we get through, we're in the beginning of the inventory. That was another thing. When I try to work the steps off the wall, the only step I see that has inventory in there is step four. So I used to say, well, yeah, I've, I've done an inventory because I did a lot of writing. The inventory is four through nine. It's an inventory process. If I haven't done four through nine, I have not done an inventory in Overeaters Anonymous. So when I get through this process of four through nine and I start to create these ideals and I choose to not work by these ideals, there's a good class, there's a good chance I'm going to get drunk. Now, if I, I'm not a perfect person. I'm working towards these ideals. So if I'm going to use the example, for example, with me, is gossip was a huge thing for me. Does that mean I've never gossiped since I've been through four through nine? No. But when I've gossiped, have I gone through this process and made an amends to people? Have I recognized that I was wrong and asked God to help me? Because my gossip is not about the people I'm gossiping about. It's about me not feeling good about myself. 
And when I don't feel good about myself and how I'm behaving, I need to rip other people down to feel better. But now if I, can, if I choose to continue to gossip and say to hell with it, am I going to eat again? Absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely going through that at work right now. I'm, my company's going through changes, which I feel are self-inflicted. And we've had, you know, voluntary um, retirements. Then we had involuntary, I love, they, they had to call it involuntary separations is the political term they're using now for firing people. And now we're, and now we're having um, corporate reorganizations. So um, do I think my company's handling it? Well, no. And are people justifiably angry and frightened in my, my, my department? Absolutely. Is there a lot of gossip and tearing down? Absolutely. But see, I know who I am. We learned in step three, it says most people live by self-propulsion. It's not saying most alcoholics. Most people. I can't live that way. It says that, that we must be free of anger because it's poison to us alcoholics. You know, it's the dubious luxury of normal men. So everyone in my office has the ability to get caught up in that anger, and it's justified in my opinion too. But if I don't do 10 and 11 work on it and I choose to join in with that, I'm going to get restless. I'm going to get irritable. I'm going to get discontent. I'm going to feel uncomfortable in my own skin. And if I'm not getting the effect from my step work, I'm going to go back to the only thing I ever got the effect from, which is the food. Which is why this, this, this is to me is a warning. If we don't continue with this process, just being aware of our patterns is not going to keep us sober. Okay? So then that last paragraph on page 70, I call these the four-step promises. It's kind of a little gauge of when I'm, when I'm finishing up my inventory work to see if I'm getting the quote-unquote effect I should be getting. So it says, if we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. Um, and I wasn't here last week, but one of the things I remember my prejudice, once again, looking at, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I thought that if I wrote a five-subject notebook of a fourth step and you wrote a three-subject notebook of a fourth step, I had a better fourth step than you. So I've written down a lot. What I realize now, thorough means that I follow the directions. It's not a lot of writing in the sense that you know, we should not be sitting in this for months. A couple weeks is really the most that most of us need, is just to write these lists and these columns. Um, so I'm asking, did I follow the directions specifically? That's what thorough means. We've listed and analyzed our resentments. That's a big one, too. Not that I justified and wrote you know, complete medical history and a complete autobiography. I've made these lists, and I've analyzed them objectively, just answering the questions. We've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality, and we've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. Man, was that true for me when I did this process. I realized, how the heck am I supposed to live in 2017 if I'm dragging around 1985? You know, that these people who I haven't seen since I was 10 years old were making decisions about my life. When I was growing up, I had really, really bad teeth. I, actually, I couldn't even close my mouth because I had so many teeth. I was actually put in braces at, at, at 10 years old. I had eight teeth taken out because I... It's considered a defect. Every, every baby tooth I lost, I, I got two teeth. So I had to be put in these braces. I was in braces till I was 17. I was called Hungry Hippo, Bugs Bunny, you know, teased all these ways. I'm in college. I get my braces off at 17. I, I'm in college, and I was voted best smile. And I cried because I knew they were making fun of me. There's no way that anyone could think I have a nice smile. So here I am in my 20s still relitigating what people said to me when I was 10. So I started to see how it really wasn't about what was going on today. It was me dragging around 
the, the, my prior life. It wasn't the guy I was dating. I'm still living the guy that I dated three times before. So we begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards our men, all men, even our enemies, for we look at them as sick people. I started to realize that I was just the same as everybody else. That sick man prayer made me realize when I behaved badly, it's because I was hurting. Could I extend that to other people? That maybe when they were behaving badly, they were hurting? That I had, didn't have a lot of life skills and I was doing the best that I could with what I knew at the time? Can I extend that to other people? That I started to see people as people that were hurting and not people that were mean? I started to see that in here. We've listed the people we've hurt by their conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. I started to have compassion and realize I had hurt people and I, I wanted to make amends. I wanted them to know that I was sorry. And then just the last paragraph here says, In this book you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope that you are convinced that God can remove whatever self-will. Not me. This is not a process where I figure myself out and try to make myself a better person. But am I convinced that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked me off from him? If you've already made a decision, step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicap, step four, grosser. This is not about remembering every single moment of our lives. The way that I describe it with people I work with is what you're doing and you're learning a skill set. So whatever is taking up rent in your head right now, put it down. If it's not taking up rent in your head, don't worry about it. That's why we have 10 and 11. Because believe me, if you have a resentment, it's not like you're going to forget the resentment for the rest of your life. It's going to come up again. So we're trying to get rid of those grosser handicaps so we can see these patterns so that we can address them. And you've made a good beginning. That being so, you've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about ourselves. And that's all we're doing in step four. Once again, the inventory process is four through nine. I'm not here to figure it out and resolve anything for step four. I'm here to make these lists be as thorough as I can, meaning follow the directions, and then immediately move on to step five. And with that, I'm going to stop.